Before I jump into talking about the power of the resurrection, I want to talk about just the power of the cross is that Jesus, he gave his life for us. He was sacrificed on our behalf for us, for our sin. What we see that was accomplished on the cross is that Satan was defeated. Death was defeated. That scripture says that there is no more shame. There's no more condemnation. There is no more separation between us and the Father. But through Jesus, we can experience the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ. That is, that is available to us. And what we see in the, the Easter story is two days later, as the disciples had scattered Full of fear, they, they fled and not knowing what would happen next, even though Jesus said time and time again exactly what was going to happen and that he would be back again. What we see is two women, Mary and Martha, they went to the tomb where his body lay and they went there and they were met by an angel with the stone rolled away. And we read in Matthew 28, verse 5 and 6, it says, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. He is not here. He is risen. Death could not hold him. The grave could not contain him. But he is alive. He is the living hope. He is the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He is the risen one, and that's the one that we are worshiping and celebrating today. And I know that many of us, at times, we can feel like, God, where are you? It feels like you are hidden, that you are gone. But really, we need to remember that Jesus says that he is here. He is with us. Though the disciples felt afraid because they felt like they'd lost their Lord and their Savior, Christ the Messiah. But he was going to prepare a place, not just for them, but for us. He defeated death. He defeated the grave so that we can live from victory. And that's the message of the cross. And today, I want to preach to you from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. You got your Bibles, you got your phones turned there. Of course, the scripture will be on the screen. And we read this Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to encourage them in their faith, this new church that was rising up and forming within what was the, the epicenter of culture and economy and, and wealth. And he writes these words in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And I want to preach to you today on the title, Resurrection Power in the Church. 
resurrection power in the church that just as Jesus was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, that now is the time for the church to rise in Ireland, for you and I to experience the same power that raised Christ from the grave lives in you. It lives in us. The hope to which we are called, that we know that he is seated with God the Father at the right hand. It says that all things are under his feet, that he's appointed as the head of his church. And the same power that God exerted when he raised Christ from the grave is available to you. It's available to me. That we can experience this resurrection power, the incomparably great power that is available to us. Where can we experience it? We can experience the power of Jesus in our faith, the power in our church, the power in our families, the, the power and the faith in our lives and through our lives. Lord, we want to thank you that you've given, you've given us Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who did not just die on a Friday, but rose from the grave. And he's living with us and in us. And we thank you that you are our living hope. And I pray today, as we read your word, as we hear from you, Lord, I pray that we would know your resurrection power, living and active and alive in us like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. When I was, uh, as I said, I'm a culture from Newbridge in County Kildare, and uh, I grew up in, in Newbridge, and at that time that I was growing up, you know, Halloween was a big occasion, and not just because of the, the treats that you would get and the fireworks that you would hear, but because of the bonfires, you know, there wasn't much of health and safety back in that time, and so all the kids, we used to, you know, get ready in the weeks before, and we'd build and prepare the bonfire. Has anyone ever done that? Is that just my experience? You as well? A few experiences? Okay. And we go, and throughout the weeks, you know, we get all the equipment, and we put it together, and behind my home was a field, and that's where they used to have the bonfire, not thinking about the houses around it. And uh, so, so on the 31st, we would, we would get together, and we'd, we'd burn the bonfire, and it was ablaze and celebrated, and I remember I was about 10 or 11 years old, the 1st of November, I got up early that morning, and I went outside to the bonfire, what was this big blazing fire, now in, in burning coals and ashes, and you know, it was like any young man comes across fire, it's like a bit fascinated by it, and I, I got a stick, and I started poking the fire, and poking the the, what was, you know, the fire and the remaining ash that was there and the red hot coals and start poking it. And then my friends came along. We all grabbed sticks and we went to the branches of the trees and broke them off and start piling it on and again and seeing, can we get this thing going again before our parents wake up? And, and you know, just, just stoking the fire and stoking the fire and what was just small embers of flames began to burn and burn and then all of a sudden as we stood back and watched this old fire formed into something new we saw this big massive fire right in front of us and really for me as I'm thinking about this week and the resurrection and the power that's available to us in the church I believe that God wants to revive the fire that is within us, not to its former glory, but that he would burn a new fire within us. 
That for many of us, we may have what may be just small embers of what used to be red hot coals, but now has become lukewarm. And we've been looking at this in our series and the theme for the year that we would reignite that fire within us. But I also believe that, that we would have a belief and a boldness as a church that God wants to use us to do great things. He's got greater things for us. That we would have this, this belief and a boldness that he wants to do great things through us and through this church that is nation-shaking and history-making. That we have an opportunity as an Irish church in an Irish land for what has been almost 1,000 years has not experienced a move of God that again, that God is saying that he wants to do it in this day. And in this time, a new thing and a new fire that that is the hope to which we are called. That we will experience a rejuvenation, a resurgence, a regeneration, a revival within us. Not, not to bring us back to old and former things and not even in your own life that you need to relive what was, but God will do something new. That you would truly experience the resurrection power within you that is indescribable, it's incomparable, you, you can't explain it, you don't know what it is, that, that living hope that is inside of you, but it, it empowers you in your every single day and who God has called you and created you to be. You know, we live in an incredible nation. We need to be reminded that as, as Irish people, because Irish people were the worst for this. We crib and complain and give out, yeah, but you don't know about this. And how do you do that? We live in an incredible nation. What was once known as this small island off the side of Great Britain has now become this thriving land. It's in the last 30 years in particular, and many of you, you know, whether you were born here or drawn here, we call you Irish, okay? First and foremost, you're, you're part of Ireland, you're Irish. But many of you may not know the history of Ireland. We only celebrated just last month 100 years of government. That's as young as we are as a nation formed. We are thousands of years old as a people, but 100 years old. And we have come from slavery and oppression for almost 400 years by, by British rule in the British Empire. We were a, a people that were under the thumb of, of oppression and we rose up from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s as a third world country. Like my ancestors, my grandfather grew up within that land as it's so many of yours. And we went even in the 60s and 70s and 80s, so many of you will know it, as a, as a dark time, as a, as a time where you struggled, as we say, to rub two pennies together just to keep warm. But in the last 30 years, we've, we've grown into this thriving economy. And it's interesting when you look at the journey of this nation that now we call one of the greatest nations in the world to come to for welfare and inclusion and safety and health and opportunity as so many of you have and so many of our people have. And, and the journey of the Irish economy really began in 1995 and what began as the boom, as we call it in Ireland. The boom began in 1995 and grew for for 12 years, and we saw it from year after year, and they, they coined the phrase, the Celtic tiger. Have you ever heard that before? 
the Celtic tiger, because it roared and boomed from year to year. And we became this people all of a sudden given so much vast money and resources, some of it not through the best of ways. And we had it and, and, and purchasing you know, land far beyond the price, that it, the cost that it was until this moment in 2008 that we all know it as the great crash happened. It all came crashing down. And what was this Celtic tiger roaring became like a dead tiger, killed, gone, finished. Everything was finished. We had gone from this fast, from not to 90, as they say in Dublin, and, and all of a sudden it was gone. I remember 2006, I started in college studying business and finance and economics. And, you know, they were telling us, you know, the principles and the methods and what you need to live, uh, you know, how you operate in business. And then 2006, 2007, 2008 happened. It was like everything was out the window. We had to relearn everything once again because the world had changed. We entered into the Great Recession. For many, it was a dark and, and depressing time. For many of us, still reeling from the effects that, that we experienced during that time. But what happened is from 2008 to 2014, slowly the country began to, to gather back. And for the first time, this word was used, and you may have heard it before, millennials. Millennials began to come out from what was their parents had grown up in the boom, the millennials had actually then grown up in the crash. And what happened in 2014, actually the economy, I don't know if you remember, but I remember exactly the Christmas that had happened because each Christmas before that was such a dark time for five years. And then in 2014, just something changed and shifted in the air. And what we began to experience is signs of recovery in our economy. And what happened was, we experienced this new sense of optimism, this new sense of hope as this younger generation was rising up and is still rising up today. And, and really, we saw this new movement of culture and coffee. Have you never seen so many coffee shops all over the place? I remember 2010, I'd gone to South Africa for a year and came back and I, there was not one coffee shop around. Like, there was nothing. And, and this new movement had happened, and there was this fresh growth. And one economist, he labeled this time and this movement, 2014, and the years that have passed, he called it the Celtic Phoenix, an economy that had risen from the ashes, an economy that had come from a place that was dead, had crashed, really experiencing rejuvenation experiencing what may even be described as a revival. And yet, this great Ireland that we're a part of and live in, this great modern nation that's in one of the top five nations in the world to live in for standard of living, and yet at the same time, anxiety, depression, and suicide is more rampant than ever before. Not just among men and women of maturity, but particularly among our younger generation and in our schools. And what we're seeing is a new Irish generation who are growing up who are over-medicated, ill-resourced, and under-equipped. 
And what is happening in this new age that we live in, in this new Ireland that we live in, that now you can be whoever you want, you can be with whoever you want, and you can say and believe anything you want once it fits into a certain narrative and mindset. But we've come to a place where, as a nation, we have more money than we could ever have, more opportunity than we can ever have, more choice than we could ever have. And yet at the same time, we have so many people within our nation who are feeling in this place so insecure in their identity, so unstable in their security, so unsure about their future. That we've come from these people who, the fighting Irish, a people who, who always survived, who always got through, who no longer have the tools to be resilient. And so what we're seeing is a growing epidemic of suicide and self-harm. Well, recent statistics show that we have the highest young female teenage suicide in Europe. And yet the greatest economy than we've ever had in our history. And I believe that the reason that this is happening, the reason that we are seeing this shift in our nation and in our global community is people are coming to the conclusion, there is no hope. There is no hope. There's no hope in the economy. There's no hope in our government. There's no hope in the opportunities that I get. There's no hope in inclusion. There's no hope in choice and change. So where is the hope? Where is the hope? Where is the living hope? Where is the church that our land needs? Where is the church that Ireland needs? You know, the church and that word church in Ireland right now is like a curse word. As you say it, you get a shock on people's faces. In this new liberal, progressive and forward-thinking nation, you know, many Christians that I've either, I've experienced moments myself or talked to have, when they would say, I'm a Christian or I go to church, they've experienced being mocked belittled, be made fun of, put into a corner or put into a box and interrogated about certain issues and questions and asked to have an opinion when you're at the same time like, I don't know. And what we're experiencing, even, even what's worse, I don't know if you've had this experience, is that when you say, I go to church or I'm a Christian, is being tied to or compared to the traditional institutional church. The church that has broken the trust of our people. The church that has abused hundreds of thousands of people for decades. The institutional church that right now is on its knees and it is finished. And we as Christians in this time in Ireland, in this modern Ireland that we live in, where everybody has everything that they could ever want, and at the same time is more hopeless than ever before, and yet here we gather today, and many churches like it, as Christians, are we stepping into the power 
and the resurrection power that Jesus has given us. To believe that this is not good enough. That our land and our family deserves a better church. A new church. A new faith. A new place that you can trust in. That you can feel safe in. That you won't be abused. A place that you can belong in. That you can be a part of. That you can find your identity in Jesus. That you can feel that hope and sense the presence of Jesus. And not shame nor condemnation that we've become so accustomed to by the Christian faith. And I believe that this is the time for resurrection power. That our nation and our people, they deserve a better church. A church that not just gathers on a Sunday morning, but a church within our homes, within our families, within our workplaces, within our communities, within our schools. And as we look out upon the the ash that resembles the faith of the Irish people, the Christian faith can seem like a pile of ashes, but yet there's embers of fire. There's men and women like yourself and so many churches around the nation ready to be stoked, ready to be fired up, ready for revival, ready for a new church, ready for God to do something new in me, in you, in us, at the hope to which we are called is to experience this resurgence, this revival, like a phoenix that rises from the ashes. We see a church and a people that will rise from the ashes of our faith, not to our former glory, but a new fire. On this day, the 5th century, Easter Sunday, a man called St. Patrick lit the Easter fire on the hill of Tara. And it was a day that was used to light fires by the kings would light the fires. And he lit this fire that burned brighter and greater than the kings of culture, the kings of public opinion, the kings of economy and wealth and finance. But it burned brighter for the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And what started out maybe as a flame blazed into a fire. What started out as a small group of misfits, rebels, people who had nothing and no one to, and and nothing to their name, gathered together, believing in faith in a land that God can move. And this is the time, this is the moment that we again would have that faith, to have the confidence to say, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I go to church, a church that is alive, a church that is life-giving, a church that believes that Jesus is the resurrected King of all kings. And you may place, place your hope and your faith in your money, in yourself, in your identity, but I place my hope and faith in Jesus, and he will not fail me. 
I want to encourage you that this is the church that's rising up on Paul, these words, and this is why I'm saying it to you. Paul is writing these words to a church in Ephesus, a church that was the, the epicenter of culture. Sorry, the, the Ephesus was the city or the epicenter of culture. It was the place where people would gather. It was where the wealthy lived. It was the important, the influential lived. And there Paul went to start a church in the monks of it. And he's writing to this new church rising up, just like the new church rising up in Dublin, in Kildare, and across this land. And he says these words in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, illuminated, come alight. The Amplified Translation says, by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light. Why is this important? Because where there is spiritual light, there is life. As John chapter 1 verse 4 says, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. Verse 18 says, the eyes of your heart. The heart is the core of life. The eye is the symbol of intelligence and understanding. It is to have inward vision. You ever say the phrase, I know it in my heart. That the eyes of your heart will be opened, that you would know it in your heart, that you would have the belief, the intelligence that many of us do not have, like myself. But it's intelligence that comes from God. It's an understanding that surpasses human knowledge. It's this belief within us where our heart becomes alive, awakened, aware, rejuvenated. And verse 18 says, in order that you may know the hope to which you are called. The Living Bible says, so that you can see something of the future he has called you to share. The confident hope he has given to those he called. I look at my present I look around me, I look at the world around me, I see war, famine, destruction, but the future that I have is not in my present, it's the hope to which I am called. Because I may lose everything here on earth, but what I gain is in heaven. It's the hope to which I am called. The message translation says to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he's calling you to do. That our hearts that be a light, illuminated, on fire, passionate, that, that, that we come alive within us. This boldness, this confidence that wells up within us. And verse 18 continues, that we may know the riches of his glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The Amplified Translation says, the immeasurable, unlimited, and surpassing greatness of his power, and for us who believe, his power is infinitely greater. It is beyond comparison. It is beyond compare. Nothing can compete with it. Nothing. Verse 19 continues, that the, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Can you imagine in a nation where the church is seen as dead? In a nation where so many people and even so many believers themselves have become despondent with God, have become disillusioned, have become afraid, feeling alone and abandoned, full of confusion and doubt as the question is, where is God? 
What is this all about? Can you imagine that this could be the time that we experience resurrection power in the church? Resurrection power in our lives, in our homes. Imagine that we could experience revival rising up from the ashes in our marriages, in our children, our families, in our homes. The fire inside us would burn so bright, not because of what I do, but because of what Jesus has done. And I know that in him I am a new creation. I thank you, Jesus, that you've made me a new man, a new woman. And though on one hand I have the power of Jesus, on the other hand, I've got the pain in my heart and suffering. But thank you, Jesus, that I, though I fail and falter, and at times I can feel I give up, you, you, you never give up on me. You're with me. You're for me. You're not against me. You've gone before me. Nothing can stand against me. For when I am weak, in you I am strong. You see, all of us, as I speak today and I'm talking about power, we feel weak. We talk about confidence, and we feel insecure. We talk about security, and we feel unstable. When Paul says in Romans 8, verse 11, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, listen to this, to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Power to your mortal bodies. Healing for your physical health. Power to your, your mind. As crazy and cluttered as it feels, it can bring calmness. Healing for your heart, forgiveness, cleansing of your soul. That we may suffer here on earth, but even our mortal bodies are being made new, rejuvenated, full of joy, dwelling within us. The hope to which we are called is not just for when we get to heaven. It can be here on earth for right now in this moment. Because it's not because of my present circumstances. It's because of Jesus Christ living and active in me. Verse 21 says that Jesus is seated right now at the right hand, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. I love that. It's under his feet. It's under his feet. And appointed him to be head over everything. But listen to this. For the church. For you. For us. Together. The Amplified says appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church. The church, verse 23 says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is the head. The church is his body. Jesus is. The church are one. The church in which he fills everything with his presence. You see, Jesus came from heaven to earth to die upon the cross, to be the sacrifice, the payment and the penalty for our sin, the ransom for our sin, so that through faith in him we may receive forgiveness for our sins. But the story doesn't end there. He was raised from the grave. 
resurrected from death to life, where death is defeated. 1 Corinthians 15 says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It has been swatted up in victory. And here it says that he's done this for the church, for the church in Ireland, for the church in Dublin, in Kildare, and right across this land for the church, for the church. Verse, there's no more verses. Open, <laughs> verse 23 says, for the church, open arms church. Is Christ's body here on earth? In which he fills, in which he speaks and acts and fills everything with his presence. It's you. Jesus is one day coming again. But in his place he has sent you. Think about that for a moment. It's the hope to which you are called to, not the hope to which you are to keep. It's the hope to which you are to bring with you, the hope to which you are to be. That is what we are called to, for the church is here for the world, so that all may fall in love with Jesus, so that all may have the opportunity to give their life to Jesus. If they decide not to, that is their choice. But our call is that everyone would get the choice. This is the time, this is the moment in Ireland for the church to rise, to experience resurrection power so that we may be a life-giving church so that people, and when I say people, our people, our flesh and blood, our nation, our neighbors, our friends, our family may experience life change. Through Jesus Christ, life change. This is about death and life. It's why it matters. It's about death and life. Just yesterday I heard that a young man who's grown up in our church, a young man who I've helped many, many times, pastor, care for, just be there, just passed suddenly yesterday. He'd been carrying cancer, he hadn't even told his family, he just had a brand new baby girl, and he passed away suddenly. But by God's grace, we know where he is. He's in heaven. This young man whose life was cut short, I can't explain it, but for the rest of his eternity, he will be in heaven. It matters from death to life, not life just here on earth, but for eternity. For eternity. Who is in your circle that you need to pray for? Do you need to sow seeds of hope and faith? Myself and Gillian, we, we started going out. I was just about 17 years old. And uh, Gillian's my wife, by the way, for those who don't know. And we started going out and we were part of this, this small little you know, church and youth group and when I turned 18 years old, Gillian was much younger than I was, and uh, she um, 
both of us decided, let, let's start a youth group. We'd never even been to a youth group before, a youth club or anything. We had any experience. Didn't even know what a youth pastor was, right? But we just started it. And we started it within our hometown in Newbridge County, Kildare. And we were there for about five to seven years, somewhere in that time. And, and we were there every Friday night. We hadn't a clue what to do. So we decided, let's have fun. Let's just gather young people together in our town. And, you know, I'd grown up in Newbridge and never knew one Christian. My whole teenage life. Never knew one Christian in my town, in my school. It was just me. But we said, Let, let's start this. And we gathered. It was a very small group. Matthew, who's grown up in our church, he wasn't even allowed to come because he wasn't even of age. But and we gathered all these. And so start young, young boys and girls from around the town who didn't know God from Adam, never been to church before, anything like that. And started having fun and started having fun every Friday night. And then every Friday night, myself and Jill would drive them home and drop them off at their houses. And we didn't really, you know, as such preach the gospel or, or you know, tell them about Jesus. We just had fun. We just connected. And we'd invite them to church at times and over a period of years, there was, there was a certain group we would have at times like 100. At one time, we had 400 young people from right around the town come, and many had given their lives to Jesus, many who have fallen away since then and come back to him. But, you know, there's at times where you, you feel like, I don't know if you've had this with your friends or your family members, I don't know if it's making a difference. Have you ever had that thought? I don't know if this is doing anything. And there was young, one young man in particular, we, we just love, he used to have the crack, and he was more intelligent than all of us put together. And, and he had no interest in faith or God or church. In fact, he used to slag us all the time and have the crack and slag back and forth. And, and others used to watch him, but we went on this journey together, just keep, keep loving and praying for him and praying for everyone else. And, and so he is, every young boy and girl does, they grow up become a man and woman and go on and live their lives. And we would, myself and Joe, when we go back to Newbridge, we, at times when we walk and we bump into some of these young guys, we say, remember the days we call it sold out youth. S-O-U-L apostrophe D. Sold, you getting that? No, it's actually funny, isn't it? It's classy, thank you. Sold out, sold out you, because we were sold out for Jesus. And so we had this group, we said, remember those times, remember those days. And there was young, that young man who was really an influence within the group and went on to study science and he was so, so intelligent. And he, he became very sick and ill with a rare genetic disorder. His family had raised so much money to send him to different parts around Europe to try and get special medication and operations. And he lived under constant pain. Constant pain. I remember when March 17, 2020 happened. And the T-shirt got on the screen and he said, we're shutting everything down. Everything is closed. Churches, pubs are even closed. Restaurants. And I don't know about you, but I've had many a night where I've cried out to God, angry. Why would you let this happen? What are we going through? Confused, unsure. There was many times difficult preaching to a camera, not sure. Is anyone listening? Is anyone there? Laughing at my own jokes, <laughs> pretending that you're laughing at my jokes, you know, all, all that stuff. 
And this young man, at that same time, he was confined to his bed. He wouldn't leave. For months and months after months, he was in constant pain. Eventually, he took his own life. Because the pain on earth was just so severe. And this Friday evening, Good Friday, when I got to the church in Newbridge, we had a service. I had a card that was written to my mom. And I had the card with me the whole time. And I went to my mom after the service. And I gave her the card and said, I don't know who this is from. And she opened it. And we as you know, good Catholics growing up, when someone passes, we, we print their face. And we, we keep that. And we pray for them. And we say, rest in peace. And we pray over their life. And, and the card dropped out of the card. And it was a card written by his mother. Two open arms. To say, thank you for what you invested in my son. Thank you for the seeds that were sown. Little did you know that as he was in his bedroom on Sunday mornings, he'd watch Open Arms Church. At that time where I was angry at times. God, why would you allow this to happen? Why are you doing this at the very same time? God was using that opportunity to speak to a young man at the depths of darkness and pain and loss. She wrote these words. She said, I believe that my son is in heaven and I will see him again. And I say that to you to encourage you in your faith. The people that you encounter and come across and the encouragement that you give, the words that you sow, that you speak the words that you don't speak. The choice in the moment to show condemnation or compassion. To show love and grace or instead to show indifference. The choice to be able to embrace diversity and inclusion or instead to choose segregation. The choice that you have in that moment to be able to be there as an arm around of love and support to preach into their hearts and lives. And you may not believe what they believe. You may not agree with their choices, their thoughts, their ethics, their morals. But you can say, I believe in you. And I believe that God has got a good thing for you. And even in the midst of your pain, you can experience the pleasure and the purpose of God. And we do not know who will be in heaven. Who one day will say, thank you. For what you sowed into my life. Maybe your family member, your mom, your dad, your son, your daughter, your brother and sister. Who you've walked with for years after years. Praying after praying. Not seeing any change of repentance. My granny, she was a raging alcoholic who was a really, a, truly a, a woman who was Terrible. One time my mom told me that I got so angry at her as a four-year-old, I picked up the ashtray that she was smoking out of and I threw it at her head and she dipped us right at the right time. She, she abused her of so many people and she was a terrible woman, but on her deathbed, she gave her life to Jesus. Because it, it's, it's the day after day. It's, it's year after year. The hope to which you are called is to be shared with those you love. It's not our responsibility to convert anyone. 
it's not our responsibility to, to hope that they change. It's our responsibility to love. And if there's one thing you hear this Sunday, resurrection power is alive for you in the church. The same power that conquered the grave, the same power that God exerted to raise Christ from the grave lives in you to love, to bring hope to bring life, to be the church that Ireland needs. I'm going to invite the team up as we finish today. I'm going to finish with two scriptures. The first is John 11:25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He says these words, do you believe this? We receive salvation when we believe in Jesus. We place our faith in Jesus. As Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When I ask you a question, do you believe it? Why don't you close your eyes with me right now? Do you believe it? Do you believe in the power that's alive for you right now in this moment? For you, as a parent, as a spouse and a partner, as a worker, as someone who carries responsibility and the weight, do you believe that God can give you the power for your every single day and moment that He's with you? The power to carry the burden, to carry the weight, the power of forgiveness, the power of grace, of love, of mercy, of compassion. That power is available to you right now in this moment. With your head bowed and eyes closed, I want to invite you to pray with me. And as I ask that question that Jesus says, do you believe this? If your answer is yes, say these words with me. Jesus, I believe in you. I need your power. I need your forgiveness. I'm a sinner. And I need you. I choose today to believe that I am forgiven. That I am set free. And that you are alive. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet today. As we finish in worship.